Remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to Genesis chapter 50, the very end of Genesis, beginning at verse 15 through verse 21. Genesis 50. Verses 15 through 21. Now hear the word of the Lord. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin. For they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of your servants of God for your father, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace that abounds over all of our sins, for your mercy that is new each morning, that great covenant love, that loyalty that you have for us in the gospel. We're thankful for Christ, for his mediation. We're thankful for his redemption, his atonement upon the cross and his glorious resurrection. We're thankful for his ascension and for him reigning today over all things in heaven and earth over our lives and over every detail, over every atom and molecule, we are grateful that you have revealed these wonderful truths to us and that in them we might have hope. You are a faithful God and you never go back on your word. You do not lie and you have given us many promises by which we are to live. And you've revealed yourself even in this text in an unusual and mysterious way that is very appropriate and relevant for us this evening. And so we ask that the Spirit of God would fall fresh upon us and fill this place with a sense of your glory, that you would be speaking to each heart in a way that we need to hear your voice tonight. Encourage us and strengthen us and and invite us into a, a deeper prayer life as we consider what great things you have done for your people. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been talking with someone or witnessing a very difficult situation, and if you only knew a little bit more of the story, it would help? Um, Perhaps when you did know more of the story, there was a different interpretation that perhaps maybe gave your mind some relief or gave uh, some help. It settled your spirit because you knew and understood a bit more of the context. One of the most unsettling things that we wrestle with is not knowing what's going on or when something is about to happen and we don't know what that is or how something will turn out 
or if there will ever be resolution and closure. Just living with those uncertainties unsettles us. But much of our walk with God is like that. We are to trust Him in adversity, and He doesn't provide all of the information that may help you feel better or explain to you what He is doing, and oftentimes He does not. In Genesis 50, we come to the end of Genesis and the end of two men's lives, Jacob and Joseph. Both of their lives were shown to be a journey for which they could not have planned. Their lives were filled with many twists and turns, fears and uncertainties, great disappointments and injustices and great adversity. But it was the script that God had written for their lives. It was the package He delivered. And the lesson in the lives of these men is one about God Himself that we need to understand. God's providence is working in our lives and in the events to bring about His glory upon the earth. And He's working in us and through us to do of His good will and His pleasure. But everything that He does to bring forth His glory is also very good for us. The question we need to wrestle with this evening is, do we trust God like we should in times of adversity? Do you believe that God is indeed sovereign? Do you believe He is sovereign and in control of every detail, of every atom in His created universe, including the free choices of men and even the hearts of wicked rulers? Do you believe that? Do you believe then that God is good and all good and all that He does for His people is good and that He is Himself characteristic of good and there is no evil in Him? He's all powerful and He's all good. Oftentimes people put tension between those two that the Bible doesn't. But can you believe that without reconciling and understanding it? And do you believe that God is a God of love who loves you beyond what you can measure and beyond what you can imagine or think? If you believe these things, then why is it so hard to trust Him in times of adversity? It is often difficult for us to wait on God, to trust in His wisdom, to Yield to His purposes, even though we don't know what those purposes are. When we don't see the big picture, we don't see how tomorrow is going to turn out, or even what's going on behind the scenes in the invisible world. This evening I want to preach to you on trusting in God in every situation. I want to preach to you about trusting in all of God. Not just the God who is the God of the one who saves you upon the cross of Jesus Christ and has guided you with the Spirit and not just trusting Him for your eternal state, but trusting all of God 
in every detail of life, for every moment that you live. Trust His wisdom. Trusting in His providence. Trusting in His sovereignty and goodness simultaneously. Trusting in His love and His leading you in every aspect of your life down the path that He has planned for you before the foundation of the world. My main purpose this evening is to strengthen your trust in God's leadership in your life by looking briefly over the lives of Jacob and Joseph in a very broad spectrum. As we've been taking some of these narrative arcs, we're going to do a very large narrative arc. And it's really a a single-pointed message. I just want you to leave with one thing tonight. And my one thing is, is that you will trust God always in everything because things are just not quite as they seem. Things are never quite as they seem to us. There is so much going on behind the scenes, even in the spiritual realm, that God has not opened up the veil and shown us. This is what was going on in Job's great trial. But God is also working a plan that is using you and a part of that plan of which we do not understand. And if He explained it to you, you would not understand. His ways are beyond finding out. And they are certainly not our ways. And that's why there is such soberness and, and fearfulness in the mysterious workings of God. We can't figure Him out. But we can count on His Word and how He has revealed Himself to us. We must trust in Him, though we do not see how things are going to turn out. And we must trust in Him even though we do not understand. And this is the very nature that He calls us to live by faith, not by sight. Unlike Jacob and Joseph, we have the privilege of observing their lives, which we'll do in a very quick overview, from start to finish. We have the vantage point that they never had. We see how their lives are going to turn out. We know the next chapter. We are very familiar with their story. We see on the other side of their fears, of their uncertainties, of their unknowns and the obstacles that they faced. We see what comes out of those heartaches and the disappointments and the great adversity. And we're just wanting to say, Jacob, just hang on. Joseph, hang in there. But they can't see that like we can. And yet we can even see well beyond their lives and the impact that they have had in these two men that have affected the history of the entirety of this world. This evening's message is very simple. I want to look at just a few of those vignettes of Jacob and Joseph's life, particularly after Joseph comes on the scene and 
Exodus 37, and we'll work back up to Genesis 50. The lesson here for us is to trust God's providence. There's always more to it than what we can see in the present. It's not always what it seems to be. The background of Genesis 50, this very last chapter where we have Jacob has just died and his brothers are now coming to appeal to him. His brothers are very concerned because they remember what they did many years ago. And now Jacob's dead and they, he, they're fearing that Jacob or Joseph doesn't have to be kind to them anymore for the sake of their father. So they humbly fall down before Joseph in great fear, thinking that he may punish them for their evil, which they had admitted by this time was very evil. Joseph at this point, as he was since his brothers had come to visit him on a number of occasions, he just breaks down in tears. He sees these brothers who had hardened themselves many years before now, humbling themselves, falling down and begging for his mercy, and it just moves him to tears. And he assures them for the second time that what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And he's going to comfort them. He's going to be kind to them. He's going to love them. He's not going to bring up the past. He has forgave, he's forgiven them. He has put himself in the hands of God and now he can rest in this. Joseph was at a place now where he could see the purposes for all of these many years. But let's retrace some of those hard times when he could not see. Putting ourselves in the context and, and keep telling ourselves, trust God's leading for everything is not quite what it seems. So how did he end up in Egypt with his brothers He's now the second highest in command. His story begins back in Genesis 37 when he was just 17 years old and Jacob singled him out as a favorite. He was one of the two sons born to Rachel, the one that Jacob really loved. And here he was a a son that was more in his youth. And, and yet, he gave him a coat of many colors, he favored him, he loved him. His brothers knew that Jacob, their father, loved Joseph more than they did, than he did them. And it says in ch- chapter 37, verse 3, verse 4, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. It says in verse 11 there that his brothers envied him. They were bitter. They held a grudge. Well, the brothers left home to tend the flock and to take the flock out into green pastures, and they were gone for some time. So Jacob sends Joseph to go see about their welfare. His brothers saw him coming in a distance, and they took advantage of the opportunity. Some wanted to kill him, but Reuben tried to save him. Obviously, while they were deliberating, after they had thrown Jacob in a dry well, while they were 
figuring out what to do, perhaps out of the earshot of Reuben, here's some Ishmaelites that come by, and Judah decides, hey, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and be done with that so his blood is not on our hands, which they did. They sold him to some Ishmaelites who were heading down to Egypt where the Ishmaelites bought Joseph and then they sold Joseph as a slave to Egypt. They thought they would never see him again. <laughs> but things are never quite the way they seem. God was at work in all of this. Not only would they see him again, but all these sins would one day come back up again. And they would be forgiven. The brothers brought then Joseph's coat back torn and they put goat's blood on it to make it look like a wild animal killed Joseph. And they gave it to Jacob and he says, this your, your sons. And he knew it was and then he made these assumptions that a wild beast had killed Joseph. His heart was broken and he was in grief to the point where he could not be consoled for a very long time. But things were not as they seemed. God was at work. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery, but God was with him. God had a plan for which he would need to develop Joseph's character. Joseph, was, Joseph's identity was strong even throughout all of his tenure in Egypt. He had a strong identity back to Abraham and to Isaac and to his father Jacob and to that covenant by which he was identified he had a strong identity with that land so that at the end of his days when he died, he would tell them, in 400 years, take my bones back to the promised land when God delivers you. He knew the promises. He walked by faith. He was a faithful young man, but he had some character development as most 17-year-old young men do in order to assume the lofty position that God had in store for him. Well, God tested Joseph in Potiphar's house. Joseph was faithful, and yet even because of his faithfulness to God, that was taken advantage of, and, and then one day he was tested, and then tested again by Potiphar's wife, and over and over again, until finally Joseph fled the scene and then a false narrative and a lie was made up about Joseph and injustice was done and Potiphar sent him to prison. But it wasn't all that it seemed because God was at work in all those details. He was developing Joseph. He was preparing the way for Joseph to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. But he had to go down before he went up. From Joseph's perspective, his life just kept spiraling downward. He could not see the plan. He did not know the future had God had for him. But faithfully serving in prison, Joseph made the best of his situation wherever he was. Opportunity rose for him to interpret two dreams, the one of the chief baker and the other for the chief cupbearer. But the little hope that Joseph had clung to the chief cupbearer when he was restored to his position. Joseph says, hey, remember me to Pharaoh. 
I've done nothing to deserve being here. Well, the cupbearer was restored on Pharaoh's birthday, and, and he soon forgot him. And Joseph was there two more years. Now, let's recount where Joseph was at this time. At 17 years old, he was sold into slavery. Another 11 years have now passed, some of which was in prison, and Joseph was now 28 years old. He was forgotten by the cupbearer and stayed another two years in prison, so now Joseph was 30 years old and still in prison. He had been there in Egypt for 13 of his 30 years. He had been in Egypt almost as long as he had been with his family earlier. At this point, life might have seemed somewhat meaningless to him, somewhat hopeless, but it wasn't all that it seemed because God was at work. And Joseph Joseph never lost his faith in God. He had a token from many earlier years of a dream that perhaps continued to be in the back of his mind, giving him some wonder. But then Joseph had a dream. And Joseph, because of of his ability to interpret dreams, Pharaoh had a dream. And Pharaoh then called uh, to Joseph as he found out about him through the cupbearer. And Joseph was then quick to give credit to God. No, I can't interpret your dream. Only God can interpret the dream. God gave you the dream. God interprets the dream. But Joseph was going to be the instrument through which then God would work and the gift that he had then. So when Joseph's time came, God then summoned him to his position. And he interprets those dreams and he was set as the man in charge, the second highest in power of all Egypt, and would become very powerful in that position. And then he spends out the rest of his life as the second highest in command of all of Egypt. And there, because God had enriched Egypt, it had become a very strong nation even over other nations. His interpretation of the dream that seven years of of good and plenty will come, followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph here was one moment in the dungeon and in an instant was elevated to the second highest powerful position in all of the land. Seven years of plenty have now gone by. Joseph's 37 years old. He hasn't seen his family in over 20 years. Then famine comes. And the famine was spread out into all of Canaan, and then his brothers now come to Egypt to find grain at their father's request, and guess who they have to see in order to get the grain? Their brother. Twenty years have passed. They did not recognize his brother. Obviously, by now, Joseph is a grown man, matured, and probably looks a lot more like an Egyptian than a Hebrew shepherd. And they did not recognize him. But Joseph recognized them. 
And in chapter 42, verse 8, it says that he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And so then Joseph maintains this secrecy for some time. It wasn't to play with their emotions. It wasn't to, to, to wrestle through and take vengeance upon them. No, Joseph was very kind. He spoke through an interpreter so as not to give away his uh, his. His identity yet. He felt out the situation. He felt out his brothers. He wanted to know the welfare of his family back home. His father, his younger brother Benjamin. Joseph would no doubt have had a very close relationship with Benjamin. Benjamin was also born to Rachel, the only two sons that she had. Joseph then accuses his brothers of being spies. Because he had a, he had a plan. And in order to have them go back and get Benjamin, he's going to keep Simeon as surety for that. And so he accuses them of spies and he sends them back home and and yet he gives them the grain that they needed and he also returns all of their money into the sacks of their grain. But yet Simeon is kept in prison in Egypt until they can come back. That gives him assurance that they will come back. So he took care of the immediate needs of the household and the family needs with the, with the food back in Canaan, and yet he's going to ensure that they come back. And he took care of Simeon. They returned to Jacob and told Jacob everything. They, they all became very afraid when they saw the money had been exchanged and Simeon was now being kept and they were being accused of being spies And they were not allowed to go back without Benjamin. This was all very disturbing to them. But it wasn't all that it seemed. Because God was at work. Jacob became very upset. He had lost Joseph. He now had lost Simeon. And there was prospect of him now losing Benjamin... And he says in chapter 42, verse 36, And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. But things were not at all what they seemed. God was working out all the details. Not just in the events, but in the sanctification of this family that he had called and he had covenanted with and who would become the patriarchs of his people, Israel. A bit of time went by and the the family was now out of food and, and Jacob had procrastinated, delayed in sending his brothers back because of the requirement that Benjamin had to go. But now they're up against the ropes and they do not know what to do. And so finally... They talk his father into sending them back. Judah says, Dad, I will be surety and bring him back to you. I will be in the place of Benjamin. I know you love him, Dad. Even my two sons I put at stake. I will bring him back to you, Dad. Jacob had no option. That was the only way to get food for his family, who was fairly large with these boys. 
and their families and the grandkids. But everything seemed overly complex and difficult. It was a tangled web just to get a little grain from Egypt. But it was not what it seemed. And God was at work. The brothers return once again, and they have to face Joseph. And they buy grain again. They, they bring back Benjamin with them. And, and Simeon is released, and Benjamin is going back with them. They have grain. They make short of their time there, and they're making haste back home. But no sooner have they gotten on the way that they were overcome and pursued by some Egyptian company who wanted to examine their sacks of grain because their commander, was, he had lost his cup. Well, they had eaten with him the day before, and, and so they were accusing now these band of Hebrews of stealing the cup of Joseph. Well, they said, let the man die who you find out. We have no business in stealing the cup. We brought you the money back from the first trip. We paid you money for this trip. And so they lowered the sacks down unwittingly and unknowingly, and they found the cup in Benjamin's sack. And immediately they tore their robes and they lamented because the impact of what they knew that meant. Oh, they all pack up and they head back to Egypt. But none of it at this point was as it seemed to them, not a single bit of it. God was at work. And Joseph couldn't contain it any longer. He revealed himself to his brothers. It had been 22 years since they last saw him. Joseph was 17 when his brothers sold him and saw him last. He is now 39. After he convinced his brothers, it is me, it's Joseph, your brother, and he tells the whole story. They finally, after bewildered perplexity, are just taking it in and like, Okay. It says in Genesis 45, then Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do you not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. Then Joseph sent for Jacob and the rest of his family. And one of the most emotional passages in all of Scripture is when Joseph then sees or hears about his father Jacob coming into the land of Goshen, I cannot read this passage without weeping. In Genesis 46, then he sent Judah before him to Joseph. 
to point out the way before him to the land of Goshen. And when they came to the land of Goshen, so Joseph made ready his chariot and he went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel and he presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. That's a powerful scene. A father losing his endeared child. And 22 years later, finding out that he was still alive and seeing him in all of his glory and what he has become. And the endearment of the two clung as a father and a son, two grown men weeping. For great joy. And what an incredibly happy day this was for Jacob and Joseph. Each of these men faced great hardships and adversities with disappointments and fear and worry and anxiety and struggles and and great hurt and injustices. And now here they are, clinging with great joy to each other. This is a triumphant moment for them. Up to this time, everything that had happened to them was never at all quite what it seemed. Jacob was now 130 years old when he came to Egypt. He lived another 17 years there in Goshen, a happy man. And here in Genesis 50, where we ended or started, we now end. Jacob dies at the end of chapter 49. His brothers are concerned that Joseph may punish them for their wrongdoing. But he reiterates it again. No, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he was kind. And he forgave them. And he loved them. We need to remember God's utter trustworthiness to us in every situation. You need to trust God in every adversity. God was faithful to Abraham, his servant, when he says that your people will be down in Egypt and after 400 years they'll come out. I'll bring them out. I'll give them this land. And God was faithful to Jacob and he blessed Jacob wherever he went Even though he worried a lot and he despaired a lot. He had a lot of heartache along the way. And yet God, in spite of him, blessed him. And God was faithful to Joseph not to forget him when everybody else had. God was in control the entire way through of every detail, including the evil acts of men To bring about the very plan that God had already determined. To get them to Egypt like he had already prophesied. In order to bless them and grow them into a great company of people. That was God's plan. And he was carrying it out to precision. But no one could really see the big picture in that time. In that focus. In that perspective. 
And even though Joseph's brothers meant evil against him, God turned that for their good and for Jacob's good and for Joseph's good and for God's people's good. But very little of what went on in that family's life in the moment was what it actually seemed. It appeared to be one thing, but God was at work revealing a bigger picture, unfolding his plan. And that's true with us as well. No matter how much we try to plan our way, we cannot control our outcome. But God is in control of that outcome. No matter what happens in our life, there is always more that is going on than we can see and more than we will ever understand. But God knows and He understands and He's directing it all. His ways are past us finding out. And that's why we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. That's a daily walk in trusting in Him. And what I hope that we can get from this tonight is to understand no matter what tomorrow brings, there's always more to it than what you can see. And there's always more to it than what you can understand. So trust God and yield yourself to Him and put away your willfulness so that you can follow His direction for your life and be a willing and pliable agent of His providence because nothing will thwart His plan. God is good. God is loving. He's sovereign and in control. Be faithful and trusting. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in this trustworthy manner, faithful and good and glorious. You did not have to reveal yourself to us, but you love us and you want us to know who you are so that we would trust you and even when we do not understand the way. For how can we understand? We do not see it the way you see it. And your wisdom is infinite and it is beyond us. And your thoughts are high and they are unattainable. Your ways are mysterious and they are glorious indeed. And so we marvel at your goodness and wisdom. And we marvel at your sovereignty and how you pull it all together. Even using the sinful acts of men to do your bidding. Lord, we pray that as we go through the uncertainties of the week ahead, that each day we might walk with God, knowing that you're working behind the scenes and in ways we do not understand to bring about something, some result that we may never understand in this life. But you know how it all fits together in the history of that you're bringing it all about for your glory. So we trust you in this. Remind us of this. When we face adversity, it's not all what it's, it seems to be. There's more to it. And we pray that you would increase our faith in your character. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.